Tofgren. Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, here we go, here we go. Friday, February 4th, Drive Time Lincoln. I am Jack Riggins, the host, detainee 3101. I, Caleb Henry, is on the board. Appreciate you coming in, Caleb. I was talking uh, with Mark Vale yesterday and... Uh, Aaron actually had mentioned how uh, he knows you guys do long days, and uh, <laughs> I do too. And I probably take it for granted as you guys are uh, hammering away for the early show. And uh, I appreciate you coming in. And, yeah, uh, happy to do it. Keeping the uh, convoy, as we'd say, of Drive Time Lincoln going. Uh, skeleton crew a little bit here uh, right now. Uh, Detainee 722 is still out, he's a little under the weather. Uh, that would be Johnny Cadillac. Uh, yesterday, I had to call in the great producer he is and remind me uh, what day we were on. We are on one sixty four of the mask siege, um, and is what it is, folks. Uh, like I said, uh, taking Thursday yesterday and today to just have call in day. I've got got a laundry list of things I've been researching and talking about, but I'm always curious to see what your thoughts and what's got you fired up or. What you're happy about, what what's exciting in your life, um, you know, around the community, because we do have a good community. But as we know, you know, there's a lot going on across medical issues and political issues and uh, school issues uh, that maybe, you know, has everybody a little bit uh, on edge. So we try to make sense of that or at least uh, articulate uh, our thoughts on it. That's what I try to do. This... Uh, <laughs> You know, I kind of just wanted to mention Herbie Husker and then it would go away uh, because it's actually been out there, folks, for a while. But it does seem that it has probably hit the masses uh, more in the last two weeks. And for whatever reason, I mean, the change was actually made a while back. Uh, there's been more information put out. It's got some national traction. And then I, the more I look on social media, I see a lot of Nebraskans are, are chiming in on it. And it's like I said yesterday, I don't see it uh, as an alumni of the university of Nebraska. I don't agree with them just changing it quickly. Uh, but you know, what did they do? Well, they ensured that all of those AOK Herbies would, would start getting sold out and people would, uh, really hold on to those, uh, because I think that it's a far stretch to see a white power symbol in the AOK symbol of Herbie Husker. But I, I can tell that's on folks' minds. Staying with the university, I said yesterday, uh, really excited that the Regents are going to uh, look at potential alcohol sales in Memorial Stadium. Why do I say that? Uh, because I'm a realist, and I've cleaned up the stadium all throughout my college days, and people are always drinking in the stadium. Uh, one way or the other, you know, shooters, uh, mixes. Um, let's be honest, we built the champion suite uh, right across the street so we could have an open bar at halftime. Uh, people flow to it. Listen, people still have to be responsible when they drink. I just think that modernizing, if you will, uh, the stadium to allow people to make the choice and to sell uh, alcohol is really not that big of a deal. I mean, we do it all over downtown Lincoln, uh, almost all sporting events around the nation, um, you know, have access to it. So 
to me, it's just about modernizing and and probably making the experience for those that do want to purchase some alcohol uh, much better. Uh, to me, I I think we're kind of stuck. I don't know, stuck on some principle or stuck in um, some uh, false uh, morality of why does that matter? Um, people that want to have a drink will get one, and many people that don't won't. You know, no big deal. I don't really think that there's any kind of morality or crazy debate there. Um, so I'm glad they're they're looking at that. Again, the Rick Stein Recognition uh, Hotline is open, 402-479-1400. Text line is always open. We always get some texts, and you know, I usually don't leave the studio until I respond to them or I get them right on air. Uh, Governor Pete Ricketts will be in on uh, Monday. Uh, Elena Newman, who you may remember, ran for city council. She's an independent, has an interesting story of getting out of uh, Eastern Europe uh, to America as an immigrant, and uh, she ta- she she pays close attention to uh, local politics. She will also be on later in the week, Thursday next week. So Governor Ricketts on Monday. Some of the other things that I see going on, I've, I've mentioned it before, this Freedom Convoy in uh, Canada is gaining a lot of traction. Um, if you're excited, if you believe in that, uh, you know, check out uh, the social media tag or facebook tag nebraska's against government overreach um there's going to be a sponsored uh planning meeting if you will this weekend uh the people's convoy in nebraska uh, a zoom meeting at 2 p.m tomorrow um to get as many people on that and and you can get that information at nebraska against government overreach um, and like I said, I mean, you're not going to avoid it. They've had such success in uh, essentially representing the the people's will up in Canada with this freedom convoy that uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize it's going to be replicated down here if it hasn't started, you know, as we would say in the military, a caterpillar of semis and vehicles making its way, you know, either west to east, east to west, north to south, America's a big place. Uh, but one way or another, all this uh, government stuff's going to end up with the people uh, probably being in Washington, D.C. So I say go check it out. Let's let it roll right through I-80. <laughs> uh, interesting. I saw and and kind of sticking, I guess, a little bit with the ethics or not ethics uh, of the beer is I saw that uh, Senator Julie Slama who has been on the show before, had introduced a potential bill, essentially in our state legislature, getting rid of the quote-unquote bipartisan tag. Um, And I guess I I was kind of struck that several former senators really spoke out against that, had some strong words in the in the hearing, I think it was yesterday, I, <laughs> I, I don't realize. Maybe I'm crazy, but if you don't understand that we may have the tag of, uh, you know, no partisan politics here in Nebraska in our unicameral and things like that, still, the people that are elected generally represent you know, more conservative values or more progressive values. They more align with one party or the other. Um, 
And listen, I'm saying this that I don't generally like the two-party system. I wish we had the ability for all human beings to go out there and campaign and then, you know, money was equal and then we just all voted for the the person we thought was best. Uh, but in fact, we're generally in a two-party system. To deny that and to think that everybody in the Nebraska political sphere isn't essentially Republican or Democrat trying to go become a state senator or a mayor or a city council person it is to not accept reality, folks. She's just trying to make it all above board. Then it's clear. Now, one of the arguments that caught me was, well, you're not supposed to be voting per the party. You're supposed to be voting on issues per the people. Well, duh. I mean, that's the job. You are supposed to represent the people. Uh, The party has a certain platform that you more adhere to, and that helps you get elected. Uh, But I don't see dropping the not affiliated with the D or an R at all changing the dynamics that actually happen. It actually would make it more clear to the people, I believe. Well, there there would be significant changes immediately with if, if you become partisan, it changes what your elections are, first of all, before sure. you even get to the body. Because you are now have when you have your primary. Yeah. Whereas let's say you have five candidates. Yeah. Now it's the top two advanced to the general. It would be you would have your GOP primary and your Democratic primary. Yeah. Now, what would that mean? Well, there's a lot more of the rural um, districts where you're then guaranteeing for those rural districts where most of the time when you get to the general, it's two Republicans. You're guaranteeing a Republican versus a Democrat versus possibly an independent, whatever it would be, um, rather than. For a lot of those districts, just two Republicans and you're picking between them. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be the same thing for some more urban districts where sometimes it is two Democrats. But sure. most of the time, it's a, it's a Republican and a Democrat at, at the top of the ticket there. Then once you are in the legislature, um, when you are split, now you have the actual conversation about who's the majority party. Does that change the way you select leadership within the party? Because right now, a lot of it is the the blind votes that go mm-hmm. into it. So there, there there's a lot of selection that, before you even get into legislating, would have to get changed just simply by changing the designation of being sure. a partisan body. Well, and, and I guess what I'm saying is that there's pros and cons to both ways. Our way in this state certainly is unique. It is within the general United States of America. I believe what with all of the access to information out there and everything that having it above board. And even though there might be some burdensome changes uh, in the primaries and rural areas and maybe, you know, more study to be done. Maybe you do lose some advantages to having a more widespread uh, candidacy to choose from regardless of politics. Um, and that's something I haven't considered till you said it. I'm thinking more uh, as you're there and you're wheeling and dealing and what you're having to do uh, within the parties, you know, to gather the support to get there. Um, and so right now, to me, it looks like a modernization effort, if you will, um, 
that I favor. I'm not saying I 100% support it because this is why we have the show. Caleb just brought up a good point I hadn't considered yet. Um, and I certainly think our unicameral is good. I think it's great. Um, but I'm not so sure if essentially, you know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. I don't know because certainly without the tag, everybody down there and most everybody that's watching politics knows where people align. We know who um, the majority party is. Yeah. We, we know the way things yeah. work out. You've got your R's and your D's, yes. and then you've you've at times got a couple mm-hmm. independents. Um, and then you also know where the split is, yeah. rural and urban. Yeah. Like like you, you, you see exactly what it is. It's by parties and then it's by where you're from. Are you from Lincoln and Omaha or the rest of the state? Yeah, I mean I'd go one step further, uh, like I said at the opening on this comment, which is I'm not a big fan of the, the big party system to begin with. I, I'd rather all the money be out of politics, again, living in the silly world, because we're probably not going to go there, so that every man and woman that has a calling to, to run for office has the ability to do that and to reach voters and get their platform out there. And then if the people say, this is my representative, there you go. But, I mean, I think we're f- way far down in in well, the ability the, to do that. The, the the other part with doing that, and I know there are people that they're going to scoff at this every single time. If you did truly want to have a a body that represented the state of Nebraska, and you wanted the money out of it, you wanted one people couldn't just outspend each other right. in the campaigns. Right. But two, you have to right now you have to be able to afford to be a state senator. Sure. Because of where the pay is. Yeah. The pay is not enough for somebody to whether it's a sixty day or ninety day, and that's um that's not just by sixty day going, oh, it's two months. That's a few months mm-hmm. for the short session. You have to be able to go and make that your job. Right. Um you have to have a, a job and that's why a lot of lawyers, business people are able to do it mm-hmm. because they're able to afford to go and be in Lincoln to do this job. Yeah, and let's and be it, honest, if it's two months, I mean, with the research and the study you need to do, essentially it has to be a full-time job, so to yes. speak. So you have to be able to afford on your own yeah, good point. to go be a state senator. And right now, that's already it, it's its own ceiling yeah. that you can't go. So to take the money part out of it, it's not just the elections. It's being able, as the state of Nebraska, to fund who your legislative body is. And right now, we don't do that. Yeah, it is surprising. You're absolutely right. You know, just changing topics a little bit of when you look at the different municipalities, you look at the different counties, and then you look at the state and what we pay certain positions and then what we don't pay certain positions of our elected officials. Uh, that's why I like the show. Uh, I, Caleb Henry, on the board, uh, brings up another thought. And then I get to, I get to go down that wormhole and, and Research myself, which is what we should all be doing. Uh, that's my initial take on it. I, I was a little thrown back that some former senators were really against it. Um, but I think it's interesting. Um, like I said, let's go to line one and Richard. Oh, Richard, who is such a, a diehard. Hey, uh, Commander, uh, thank you yesterday on your show for doing a shout out to the University of Nebraska Marching Band. Uh, I love the marching band. University marching band from the fall of 1958 through the spring of 1962. I played the bass drum. And this kind of goes into an issue you were talking about, and that is alcohol in the football stadium. Because two out of the four years I was in band, we made a an away trip to Boulder, Colorado. And Boulder at that time allowed 3-2 beer in the stadium. And I will tell you that the fans were obnoxious. 
the band members were in danger. Um, the uh, students made snowballs and threw them at the band. Uh, we were marching along the street headed for the stadium. Somebody tried to punch a hole in my drum. And only because I had a drum beater and I hit their hand did they not succeed. <laughs> and so I, I think it's not simply a question of morality. I think it's a question of fan enjoyment. And yes, there are some people that probably use alcohol now during the game, sneak it in. Yes, there are some people that uh, uh, put a big load on before they get the game. But Having it available in the stands seems to me to just simply make it less enjoyable for the people who are sober and who want to really watch the football game instead of just party. Hey, Richard, I've got a question for you because I think you've got a disingenuous argument because there's a lot more than some people that are either before the game or taking stuff into Memorial Stadium as well. But when you talk about Boulder, Colorado, and that's the lowest common denominator that I'm seeing a lot of arguments go to, would you say that's a lot more to do with Boulder, Colorado, than alcohol being available in the stadium? You know, that's a tough one. Uh, all I can <laughs> tell you is that uh, the band would go to away schools, and uh, of all the campuses, Boulder was the one where the fans were the meanest and the rowdiest. <laughs> and that was the only campus at that time I'm aware of that allowed beer sales mm-hmm. in the stadium. So I'll just answer it that way. Thanks for the call, Richard. Uh, here's the deal. Richard's not alone. There's been several texts uh, with a similar uh, argument. Listen, I don't care where alcohol is sold or whatever. There's personal responsibility. When I hear some of the arguments, uh, one... People are still responsible for their actions. And so people are getting loaded before they go into games. People are taking shooters. I think Memorial Stadium probably doesn't drink any more alcohol, legal or illegal, than it has in the last 20 years. It's just the availability. There's still personal responsibility, and it's not the university's responsibility to tell you uh, how much you should drink and how you should act. I mean, they have a left and right limit of acceptable behavior as a fan, and you need to adhere to that or you'll be asked to leave. Um, I don't. I don't think you legislate or you make a decision like that based on the fact that you. Uh, of day, we're likely to see deer moving throughout the region. Make sure the headlights are on. Keeping you moving with time saver traffic. I'm Chris Lofgren. Drive time Lincoln with the commander Jack Riggins on the voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. All right, back. Call lines are open. Frogman Friday, Rick Stein Recognition Outline, 402-479-1400. We're just doing various topics today. Uh, Governor Ricketts will be in on Monday, and we will have uh, Elena Newman on on Thursday, uh, independent who ran for city council and and pays great attention uh, to local politics and has a lot of great thoughts. And and let's be honest, she's lived the dream. I mean, she's an immigrant from a place that is not America and has kind of lived up through it and earned her doctorate degree and look forward to having her on. Let's go to Dan on line one. Commander, thanks very much for taking my call. I appreciate it. You bet. Um, sir, I, I was um, thinking that uh, we, we really have to address um, as a nation and as a community the big elephant in the room. It's more like a rhinoceros that we throw a tablecloth over and every once in a while it rummages through the house and destroys everything and then it lays down. We throw a tablecloth over it again and call it a table. 
And that's the president of the United States has some sort of dementia or cognitive disability, and he is way over his head, and he's just a puppet president, it looks like. And it's, it's uh, humiliating as Americans to have an incompetent person in the position of president. And all of these problems that we're seeing now, and not, uh, a lot of the, these big ones can trace themselves to having an incompetent leader. Like the pullout of Afghanistan was completely botched. And now Russia thinks this is a good idea to, to try to get some concessions from NATO. And this gentleman, our president, goes to um, foreign countries and reportedly soils himself and is made fun of and then comes back home. And we all pretend that he's really the president. And and so Dan, so you, you don't like the president of the United States? No, I, I was actually quite fond of Joe Biden before he became president, or actually before he became a, de- a president with dementia. It's, it, this is a cruel thing that's happening to us, and, and United States citizens deserve much, much better than this. And I think this is a big problem. I also have a question for you, sir. Okay, give me the question. Yes, sir. So um, one thing I've always wondered is how accurate are these reports when, when um, for example, a president is in low, low, low in, in, the, in the polls and they assassinate a, a high-level terrorist? How accurate are the reports that we hear on the radio and media and TV versus what you guys had, had seen and done um, in the field, as best you can tell us without, you know, well, let, let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the best of my ability. Are you talking about the, like the initial reports of the raid and the killing of the the ISIS leader? You know, this week. You know, what it. You know, did that happen? Was it the right guy? That type of thing, or well, I'm, well, I mean that that specifically. But in general, we sometimes hear these these reports, and sometimes it's Navy SEALs doing it, and sometimes it's missile strikes. Sure. And I wonder, sometimes when I hear this, I'm like, I wonder how accurate that really is. I wonder if they're not telling us. I, I imagine okay. I imagine they, they might not be telling us everything because it's no. not really convenient. Yeah. All right. Let me let me take that. Good thoughts, Dan. Um, That's actually an intriguing question. Yeah, it is. Um, might take the whole show. No, I'll try <laughs> to go through it. Okay, okay. Listen, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. We all know that. Um, his ratings are down. I, like Dan, don't feel that he's a very good president, um, but nonetheless, he's the president. Um, Yes, I think that anybody who at least objectively looks can see that, you know, he's older. There is some cognitive hiccups that accompany age, um, and, and that's pretty clear. Nonetheless, the apparatus, meaning, you know, his staff and the rest of, of people that, um, support him uh, are are hopefully trying to do their best um, as far as internationally well of course of course if a president is struggling either personally with age and cognitive related things or is you know weak on certain policies or his vision of where he wants to take America you know emboldens international uh, adversaries uh, then that's going to happen and it shouldn't be a secret. Let's throw the cognitive stuff out. Uh, Joe Biden has a very low rating. There's very little support, you know, kind of for what he's doing from, you know, the American people currently. Uh, 
Russia has watched this, you know, as it does all the time. I mean, countries, including the U.S., we, we generally don't think in, in one-year intervals, right? We think in decades and two decades. And so, you know, Russia has watched knowing what they strategically want to do, which is very simple on one avenue of approach and that's to take back some of the land and resource and people that they lost uh, in losing the cold war and they did that after the last olympics uh down uh in was it sochi no 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 i'm I'm getting all mixed up but you know crimea uh you know they took that back why access to the black sea they took back part of ukraine uh while i was still stationed in europe Right. We watched that happen and they have positioned because of a weakened America, a weakened NATO of which Joe Biden has been part of, along with kind of the not handled well withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. All of these are signs of a weakened America, a weakened NATO. So, of course, they're going to make moves on the same hand. China watching looks and says okay in the next 10 years or the 10 years previously what's our best time to do the things we want to do with taiwan right and so if you looked at america on a bell curve we're in a trough right now i don't know if we're at the bottom of the trough or the midline with regard to international influence and power right we're kind of at the bottom So, of course, your adversaries are going to make moves on the chessboard. If you're really interested in that, and, you know, I hate to bring in, I I really do. I mean, I listen a little bit when I come into this show. I listen to the National Pundits, and I'm talking about Sean Hannity. But he had a great two days talking with Peter Schweitzer, who wrote a book, Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Now, there's a lot in that book, and he's been on Hannity and he's talked about it, but he's talking about how espionage and influence through national means, right? Now you think China intelligence, you think KGB, and for us, you need to think CIA. Everyone plays these games. And he specifically in his book is looking at the Biden family and monies and influence kind of from the vice presidency on till now. I'm not going to go into it, But this is the great game of international nations. And he lays out the case that there's a lot of influence and a lot of what we would call compromised uh, people around Biden, including his son, including possibly himself. That's not a good thing. Listen, look that book up, give you more insight into the bigger picture, maybe, you know, just how the game's played if you're interested. The cognitive decline is no good. It doesn't help America, you know, politically outside of America. It's not helping inside. No doubt about it, folks. But I think the key thing that I took away on the way in, I thought it was a good point, a simple point by uh, Mr. Schweitzer and Hannity, which was, could you imagine if an American president and his wife, sons, daughters, you know, son-in-laws, in the 80s or early 90s during the Cold War had these type of factual accusations and factual business dealings with KGB agents? Can you imagine 
We would have locked those people up if they were Americans doing the type of business and the type of activities that compromise them and the people they have influence to within the political sphere. We would have. That's just a fact. That's not, we've changed a little bit in that. And why? Well, because China's played a good game for 30 years and they've realized, wow, we, you know, we can, we can make some moves and get in bed with big tech, Mark Zuckerberg, um, even former generals and admirals are supporting, you know, consulting as American companies with Chinese companies that are linked to the highest level of Chinese intelligence. This isn't uh, conspiracy, folks, right? There is a lot of Americans with influence on the national stage that at some level have kind of said, you know, dollar bills is more important than national security and other things. Um, And let's hope our president isn't. But nonetheless, we're in a really weak state. And it won't surprise me if if Russia, and I've I've gone on record, I'm going to tell you right now, we have no business uh, fighting back. Russia, do whatever you want to do. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it later. Um, we don't need to be going to war anytime soon, folks. Um, with regard to the raid, yeah, I, you know, I guess I can say that over the years, it has always been interesting. I, I conducted raids. I was in charge of raids uh, like the one that killed the ISIS leader just south of uh, Turkey and I, in uh, Syria. <sighs> yes, you have seen... That at times, when a president's numbers are low, and in fact, it has been the last three Democratic presidents, um, some kind of raid has taken place that was a little out of the norm, and it was cheerleaded on the back end more than normal, right? Because, let's be honest, this is what we pay our special operations troops to do, and for the most part, uh, it's independent of politics, we're happy to do it, we get our job done. We go home safe and sound, and, and hopefully we did it well and, and minimized casualties. However, you know, dating back to the Monica Lewinsky, um, you know, Bill Clinton knew for a long time about Osama bin Laden. That's been written in great his, historical fact and didn't want to do anything. Um, and finally, you know, he launched some missiles. He didn't launch missiles until the Monica Lewinsky thing broke. Uh, President Obama, as he began to have spikes, um, it would so happen, you know, we found uh, Osama bin Laden in that window. He went ahead and authorized that raid. Now, all of those things should have been done, and and they were, okay? How they showcase them after the fact, you know, certainly is going to be for political gain. In this case, uh, this raid went down. I'm sure the men and women that carried it out were happy to do it. And um, has it been used? Well. They've tried to tout it, but it's kind of already went out of the news cycle. And I think that's just because of the trough we're in in politics. Um, America pays and expects our special operations forces to do those type of raids and and really do them and then go back to the unknown and go back to your job, you know, go back to mission. And in this case, it, it seems like they did that. Um, you know, whatever the political people want to do after that is what they're going to do. Uh, nonetheless, yeah, it is true. Uh, President Obama did maybe uh, champion and, and, and break a few normal normal security things that we do and not talking about raids with the Obama, uh, the Obama, the Osama bin Laden raid. Um, but we've all survived. Right? Do I agree with it? No, I don't. 
Um, I'm glad to see they weren't naming units in this raid, um, but it seems that the facts went out. As far as the actual raid goes, Dan, listen, most of the raids these days, the reports, is we understand, I mean, the Pentagon and, and obviously political people have a big public relations machine, and so... Uh, for the most part, the, reporting accurately, not only from their point of view, uh, is very important to get the facts out. Uh, they also understand there will be people on the ground with cell phones now. And anytime anybody in a foreign country sees a black helicopter approaching, you know, and in this case, I think, uh, you know, they actually opened fire right before the guys got on the ground. You know, that attracts attention. And so you, you've kind of got to beat uh, the masses uh, to get the story right. And my experience to finish up answering your question is that at least since, hmm, you know, I, I would say probably 2010. So we're going on 12 years, 15 years, been pretty accurate, pr- pretty accurate by what the military puts out, what the politicians put out on those initial reports from raids. Um, and again, it's generally matched with, uh, what people on the ground see prior to that. You saw things, uh, in Gulf war one where aircraft went down, things happened, and there were still kind of the chaos of battle and reporting took a lot longer to get the facts. Uh, same with Afghanistan and the initial, uh, raids, you know, there wasn't a lot of media coverage. Um, and even the military, you know, with the complexity of the raids, had some of the initial information wrong, um, and you know that got sorted out. And then I'll go back to the big push into Iraq. You know, those first hmm, six months, you know, there was a lot of misreporting and a lot of um, unknowns, so to speak. So I do think it has gotten cleared up. I think there's a better mechanism now, and I think that you know when we see from the Pentagon. And the politicians that, you know, this raid was conducted in this form, um, you know, it generally matches very accurately with, with what took place. Uh, one of the things in, in the trade, if you will, that we should never want as a public, so to speak, at least real time, is what we call sources and methods. Um, you don't ever want to uh, disclose how you found something, you know, maybe what you got on target as far as intelligence and and how you got it. So sources and methods, we as the United States government protect very, very deeply. You know, how we got their helicopter, who did it, you know, some guys and gals with guns. Um, this was the target. These were the casualties. Um, you know, an S-Vest went off in this case. Uh, that's usually... Uh, very accurate stuff. It's the sources and methods that are rarely disclosed um, and for good reason uh, because we want to use them again. And and that's how it goes. So we're actually in a better age today with this stuff. Let's go to Brian online uh, one. Good afternoon. Well, I only have Wednesday off as a day where I don't have anything I have to do. I'm working right now, but I'm taking a moment to call in about the Hunter Biden and uh a lot of the allegations Schweitzer's and others are making are based on the Hunter Biden laptop. And there's a few words I wanted you to look up on Google, and that is uh, Hunter Biden emails shopped around Ukraine. Because in the year before, that laptop supposedly showed up in a repair shop 3,000 miles from Hunter Biden's home, 
it was being shopped around Ukraine. So, Brian, are you saying that, like with Schweitzer, for instance, and others who have used the information to say that Hunter Biden, you know, got this money or whatever, is is completely fabricated? I'm saying that laptop probably has real stuff, fake stuff, and altered stuff. That's the way they do it. And that if uh, it was true that the big guy had gotten a kickback, well, then that would be something that could be criminally prosecuted. Now, the repair shop guy who was blind and found a Hunter Biden label on the laptop, so uh, he turned it over to the FBI, and he made a copy, which he gave to Giuliani. So you think, So you're saying, though, that you don't believe any of the Hunter Biden stuff is, is accurate? Well, the the not, accusations. I think it's not hard evidence of anything, and anyone who's basing their case on that evidence, well, it's not a case you can take into court, because why did not the FBI prosecute Hunter Biden and Joe Biden? Apartment next week. Details of my 10-day outlook tonight on Channel 8 News at 10. I'm Storm Alert Team Chief Meteorologist John DeSauer. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, we're finishing up the week here on uh, DTL. Brian called in, uh, kind of not defending, but you know, talking about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, and and Peter Schweitzer's book, uh, "Red Handed: How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win." Uh, listen, Brian. That's why we have this show. Dan sees it one way, you see it another. Um, neither of you mentioned that, yeah, there's internal politics and all this stuff too, right? So there's espionage between nations and there's espionage between political candidates. Um, so really, who knows what's going on? I'm a big believer that things level out. And uh, Caleb Henry brought up a good point. We talk about this a lot. Listen, politics is local. We all get fired up about the national stuff, but you need to start paying attention to Lincoln and Lancaster County and the state issues because that's what you live and feel more. And that's what I hope to help you do as we continue.